Well, good morning again, and good morning to the online community. Uh, We love worshiping with you, and hello again to those of you who are joining us here in person. Just before I get into this morning's message, uh, I do want to give you a heads up that uh, this morning's topic and this morning's talk is going to be for everyone here. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, and we're going to be going over some leadership principles on care. Uh, But I do want to let you know that I'm going to be addressing our seniors, our graduates, specifically this morning during certain times of the message. So I'm going to refer to them as graduates. So I just do want to give you a heads up. Moving on here, one of my favorite hobbies is golf. I love golf. And to be honest with you, I wish I had more free time to play golf. But to be even more honest with you, I'm not the best golfer. I'm just sort of an okay golfer. I'm an average golfer. Um, I have what they call a slice when I drive my ball, usually with my driver. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens a lot of the time. I I tend to hit with more power, and so I try to muscle it through. And what happens is, is when I tee off my golf ball and I hit it with the driver, for about 100 yards, it has this really nice straight flight path. But then about 100 yards out, it takes a sharp right turn, and it typically lands me like behind some tree trunks or in the weeds, and a lot of times like I have to drop a ball because I've lost my ball, and they're expensive, and it's super frustrating. But you know that the goal of golf is to take the least amount of strokes and make forward and straight progress to the pin. So getting stuck behind obstacles on the golf course is super frustrating. It's difficult, but when you have an unobstructed view and you land right in the fairway and everything is wide open and you can see the pin clearly and then you connect with your golf ball really well and hit it nice, there's no greater feeling. So having a clear pathway in the game of golf is crucial. And the same can be said about caring for people. We need a clear pathway to care for people because the goal is more than just empathizing with them in the moment. It's more than just feeling for them in that moment when somebody's going through a hard time or when they have a need. The goal of caring for someone is loving them and serving them back to health, back to life. And when we don't have a clear pathway, it can cause us delays when we're caring for people. At times, we can become stagnant in meeting needs We can neglect those who will depend on us for care. And we need to clear the obstacles out of our hearts and around our lives to ensure that we can care for those that God has placed in our lives. You know, God has entrusted us with people. He's given us a big responsibility. And for you, graduates, you know these people as your family. They're sitting around you right now. You know these people as your coworkers if you're working right now. You know them as your classmates and many others. And one of the clearest indications is that we have, when one of the clearest indications that we have been transformed by the person and work of Jesus is that we not only feel for these people when they're hurting, but more importantly, it's that we do something about it. That we do something about it. If you truly love Jesus, then you will not only love his sheep, but you will care for his sheep. And now more than ever, people need heart level care. And graduates, I want to tell you something. Your work, it matters. The things that you do, it matters. The things that you're going to go on to do, they're going to matter. Your schooling matters. Your social life matters. Your social media life even matters, right? But what matters more is people. 
People matter more. Every single person, every single life, they matter. People matter more because each person around you is an image bearer of God who is loved by God, by their heavenly father. And God desires that we are used to care for them. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through what the pathway of care is. And this is going to give us a clear view of how God desires that we actually care for others. And so this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Nehemiah in our leadership series. We're going to be in chapter 5. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just paint us a quick little picture of a summary of what has happened thus far. And we're going to land in chapter 5. So up until this point, we know Nehemiah as a cupbearer. He's a cupbearer to the Persian king, King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah, he's from the tribe of Judah. Remember that uh, the nation of Israel was split. There was ten tribes to the north, and now there's two tribes to the south, and Judah is one of those tribes. And what happens is, is Nehemiah, he's serving as the cupbearer to the king, and he gets word during this time that the walls around his hometown of Jerusalem, they have crumbled due to attack. And so this is what he does. He asks the king to head back to Jerusalem to scout out the damage. And when he goes back, he's burdened by what he sees. All of the walls around Jerusalem have come crumbling down because they've been destroyed. So he prays, and then he comes up with a plan, and he goes back to King Artaxerxes to report what he saw and what he wants to do. And so the king blesses his request to gain resources of lumber and labor, and then he sets out to actually rebuild the walls. And this, this blew me away when I read this fact. It took Nehemiah and his people only 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which got me thinking. There's a construction project going on right now near my home on Route 31 in Beeville. If you guys don't know about it, it's ridiculous. Traffic is backed up for days. I'm just wondering if they can learn something, you know, a thing or two from Nehemiah here on our leadership series because it's taken them forever to get that done. But we love those construction workers. They're making us safer and our roads better. So we appreciate that. So now in chapters 3 and 4, we see that Nehemiah, he leads a charge to rebuild the walls. And he executes a plan, right? It's a project to rebuild the walls. But what he does is brilliant. In order to protect the rebuilding project, he breaks his team up in two forces. The first force is the military force. They're the people that are holding weapons and shields and basically protecting the laborers from building the wall so that that project can get done. And I just love that leadership principle of forming teams. Half provide military protection from attack while the other half actually rebuild the wall. So now we here we are. We're in chapter 5, but we have a brand new problem. Judah is facing extreme poverty They're hungry because their trade routes were cut off due to the wars around them. And now also because of the demands of the rebuilding project, all the resources are getting funneled to that. And so the people can't eat. The people of Judah, they're facing hunger, they're facing financial crisis now, which lead the wealthy and lead the nobles to take advantage of and exploit the rural farming community who need to raise money to pay their taxes to Persia. So the rich are lending money to these people, but they're charging them interest, further handcuffing them. And the grain of Judah is going to the rebuilding project, to the construction workers, 
which forced the rural community and the farmers to borrow even more money and do what they can to survive. So what they end up doing is they end up selling their children into slavery to make ends meet. Nehemiah sees and hears about this. And once again, he's burdened. But what he also is, is angry. He's angry. And once again, he takes charge to right the wrong of his people. He comes up with this plan to care for his people. So what I want to do now is I want to take a look at the pathway of care that Nehemiah uses and comes up with. And since every pathway has a beginning to it, our first point this morning is very simple. It's this. Beginning care. Beginning care. And what I did for each of these three points is I gave us a little bit of a description beneath it to help us really understand what this means. So beginning care, what is this? Beginning care, moving from a felt emotion to identifying the need behind the emotion. Moving from a felt emotion by you, you're feeling something for these people, to identifying the need behind the emotion. And in verses 6 and 7, we see Nehemiah actually do this. He says this, when I heard their complaints, the complaints of his people, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials and I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. You know, emotions, they're fickle. They change rapidly. And sometimes my emotions change rapidly and that's usually when I hit my golf balls into the woods and I have to drop a ball. It makes me very, very angry. But God, he... He made us feelers for a reason. You know, it allows us to gauge where we're at. It helps us to process our emotions, but it also helps us to actually empathize with people, to feel for them. And they also help us to get to the root cause of what's really going on, and it helps us to really understand, you know, the minds and the hearts of those that need care. Maybe they're burdened. Maybe they're going through tough times, and it helps us to understand that. You know, leaders, all of us, we are feelers. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not as emotional as this next person. I'm not as emotional as my wife. Or maybe you are. But the thing is, is that we all have feelings and we all have emotions. We're feelers who can empathize and then share people's burdens. But here's the caveat about leaders. They can move beyond the emotion of hurt. And they can help carry the weight of another. They are the ones that take a next step in providing care for those that are burdened and carrying heavy weights. And in verses, in verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah, he does this so well. He feels for his people. And the reason is, is because obviously he's angry. Because God is angry at the fact that his people are being exploited and they're suffering. And this anger that he feels, it's different from a fleshly anger. It's not an explosive anger. This anger is more controlled. And it's similar to the anger that Jesus feels when he sees the money changers in the temple, Jesus feels this righteous anger sort of welling up in him, but he doesn't explode. He's cool, calm, and collected. He's even able to craft a whip and use the whip to charge the money, uh, money changers out of the temple. Jesus does this. He has a righteous anger. It's patient. It's controlled. And it doesn't take pleasure in actually expressing that anger. And Nehemiah does that. Graduates, your first step in providing care for people around you is to feel. It's okay to feel so that you can empathize with the people around you. 
This helps you put yourself in their shoes, seize things from their perspective, all so that you can comfort those who need comfort. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, this. He says, Praise be to the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. A lot of comfort there going on, right? A lot of comfort. But he pours it out on you so that you can comfort others. He desires that we pour the same comfort out which we're experiencing from God because it's come from him. And it's not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to flow through you and out of you into the lives around you. So yes, graduates, feel. Feel for the people around you. But this is where your leadership needs to kick in. Allow your feeling for them to propel you forward so that you can identify the need behind the emotion. Why is it there? you got to get to the root of it. People are hurting, and they need your leadership, and they need your friendship, and they need the comfort that you carry because you're carrying God's comfort. Pour it out onto others. What I'm not saying is that I'm not saying stop feeling. No, absolutely not. I'm saying let the feeling that you feel move you beyond the emotion so that you can take the next step into identifying what the actual need is. So the first step is the hardest part, and I'll be honest with you. This is the step that I struggle with the most because I'm a feeler. I'm a feeler. Sometimes I let them, my emotions sort of keep me stagnant when I hear about a need because I'm feeling so much for them, right? I'm like, man, this stinks. This hurts. Why does this got to be that way? And sometimes I just stay still for too long. And what I'm doing is, is I'm sort of neglecting days go by. I'm neglecting the needs of others when I could be reaching out you know, lending practical support. I could be helping them, coming alongside of them. Let that move you forward. Learn from me. Move from, uh, you know, actually feeling to providing care for others. And once you get past this, caring for people usually gets easier because what you're going to be doing is you're going to be depending on God to get you through that. Let God carry you through so you can be focused, laser focused on providing the best care that people so desperately need. And this is what Nehemiah does so well. He goes from feeling the emotion of anger to identifying the need and comes up with a plan immediately. And he executes it. So our first step is beginning care. That's moving from a felt emotion to identifying the need behind the emotion. Step two, expressing care. Expressing care. And what this is, is it's moving from identifying the need to actually meeting the need. Very simple. Moving from identifying that need to meeting the need. And in verses 14 through 19 in chapter 5, we see the heart of Nehemiah really surface in how he turns down his own care for the care of his people. Nehemiah continues to write, starting in verse 14, for the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall 
and refused to acquire any land. And I required all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all of the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet, I love this part, I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. And he goes on to finish up with this. Remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. It's incredible. It's incredible what Nehemiah does here. What we see here is a picture of a selfless leader. Nehemiah, he's showing great compassion and care for his people by going without, by saying no. He could have demanded anything he wanted. He was governor. He could have demanded more food. More wine, more land, more money, more everything. But because his heart was for God and for his people, he turns it all down. What he was entitled to as governor, this could have came to him very easily. Nobody would have said anything. He says no. He says no because his heart was for his God and for his people. And what's more is Nehemiah actually gets his hands dirty. I love this. He goes out onto the wall as governor and gets his hands dirty and works on the wall. And not only that, not only himself, but he brings his whole team in, all of his leadership around him and says, you're going to work on this wall, and they do it. Incredible leadership. And this is what true servant leadership is. Servant leadership is sacrificial in nature. Leaders, you give up your time, you give up your talent, and you give up your treasure to serve those around you. You work. We see Nehemiah give all of those things to provide care for his people. He gives up his time by working on the wall with his people. He gives up his treasure by foregoing those daily provisions so that his people can eat. And then he gives up his talent by providing tremendous leadership and oversight to actually rebuild the wall and to help his people out of hunger, right? They're in financial hardship And he does this all while providing protection for his people. He's got his hands full, but he's doing it. That's servant leadership. And graduates, I want to let you know, the work you're going to do in the future, it's going to impact the world. I believe that. It's going to impact the world around you. And you're going to do great things. I'm speaking this prophetically over you. You're going to do great things in our society for the benefit of our culture, for your families, for your friends, all for the glory of God. But nothing, nothing will impact our uh, our world more than actually how you care for people. Your expression of care for those around you is going to make an eternal difference. And people, they're going to remember you for your work. They will. They'll remember uh, you for what you did, what you did in your careers, what you did at school. But people will remember better how you treated others. How were you expressing care to the people around you? How do you do it now? How do you express care? How do you show that you care? Do you reach out to those around you when they see, when they need someone to check in on them? Are you serving people practically? Are you checking in with friends who you haven't heard from in a long time? Maybe it's a family member Maybe you were tight at one point, and now you don't hear. Are you checking in with them? 
You know, providing care, it's not just a pastoral duty. It's not just our duty. It's a Christ follower duty. And I encourage you not to pass the buck off to someone else to do that. I'd encourage you not to fill up your lives so much with the busyness constantly, but I'll encourage you to intentionally block out time in your schedules. A simple 30 minutes to an hour every week, maybe, if you can. Check in with people. Care for people. Reach out to people. Start text threads. Care for the body. Because there are people around you who need you and need your leadership in care. Charles Spurgeon, a famous English pastor and author, he says this about helping and caring for others. He says, quote, A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when forget-me-nots have withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Carve your name on hearts. Etch your name on the hearts of those that God has placed in your life. Make your mark on them. Serve and care for them because people are hurting and they need you. Now more than ever, post-pandemic, this stuff has been crazy and people are isolated and they're hurting and people are counting on you. They're probably wondering where you've been at. They need to hear from you. Reach out in care to value them and to love them for the sake of Jesus. So the second point in our pathway of care is expressing care, which is moving from identifying the need to actually meeting the need. And our third and final step is this, sustaining care, sustaining care. And what this means is that providing care, this isn't just a one-time act. Maybe you feel like it, it is. I've been there as well. Like, oh, I checked in with them. My job is done. No, it's just beginning. It's not just a one-time act. It's a commitment to love God by loving people. Providing care isn't a one-time act, but it's a commitment to love God by loving people. You know, it's been said that our biggest challenge with, uh, that we face with our commitments is actually following through with our commitments, right? How many of you can say amen? That's the toughest part to actually do them. You commit, but then you're like, oh, I dropped the ball. You know, I forgot or whatever. It's tough to follow through. It's also been said that the best way to correct a slice in golf is to work on your swing and follow through with your swing. And that's my problem. So for me, this last point actually has a double meaning, uh, not just for me. Maybe you suffer from a slice or a hook too. Maybe we can take some lessons together and work on our golf game. But see, here's the deal. When we commit our lives to following Jesus, we're faced with many needs around us, right? And that can be a daunting task. But let's face it, graduates. You're just one person with an already busy schedule. So how can you provide care for the people around you when the need is both frequent and the need is great? It can be very, very daunting, right? And I have a simple answer for you. The short answer is this. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't do it. It's impossible. You'd wear yourself out and the quality of care that you would give would dwindle as your stress level increases and increases and increases until you reach, reach a breaking point and it would happen. So the question is this then. How do you actually best sustain the care that you can give? And the best answer that I have for you is from scripture. When we read chapter five, we see a few practical ways that Nehemiah sustains his care for his people, all while rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So instead of reading the scriptures again this time, I just want to highlight a few things from chapter 5 that Nehemiah does to sustain the care of his people. There's four quick subpoints. The first one is this. Nehemiah's care, it's focused on quality over quantity. 
It's focused on quality, not quantity. See, Nehemiah here, he has two monumental problems that he's concentrating all of his efforts onto. He's both rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and he's helping to turn back the hearts of his people back to God so that they can rectify the problem of the nobles and wealthy people taking advantage of the poor farming rural community. So graduates, this is what I ask of you. Think of this. In your own lives, there's going to be plenty of need around you. But I would encourage you to do this. Pray frequently, exercise wisdom, and use common sense when selecting the needs around you so that you can uh, instead provide quality care to those around you. Use common sense, exercise wisdom, and pray frequently and ask God which needs he wants you to meet so that you can focus on quality over quantity, so that you can remain healthy, so that you can provide the best care to the people that God has put in your lives. The second thing that Nehemiah does is he does this. He delegates responsibility, leadership 101. How many of you guys like to delegate responsibility? I know that I do, but sometimes I still struggle with it because I'm like, uh, I'm not sure if I want to let go of this yet. You've probably been there. But we see here in the text that Nehemiah, he has a lot of people around him, right? He feeds and cares for over 150 Jewish officials and leaders. That is a big team, right? He also has people probably in charge of the construction of the walls, supervisors, um, superintendents, all that sort of thing. And then he more than likely has a team of people ensuring that the nobles and, uh, are paying back uh, restitution to the farming community. So graduates, this is what I have for you here. Who do you have around you in your circle of friends and family that you can delegate matters of care to? In other words, if you have a close friend who is struggling, who can you count on to help you help that friend? Who do you have that can help you help that friend? Build teams, create text threads, create email threads, act swiftly and oversee it because people are counting on you even though they don't say it. That's an unspoken need. People are counting on you to carry the burden and lead the efforts to provide care to those around you. Another thing that Nehemiah does is he reroutes resources. He reroutes resources. We clearly saw that Nehemiah, he does this so well. He says no to the allotment of food and resources and wine because his people are already under a heavy burden. So, how can he take more when he has an abundance, when there's people around him starving? So what, he, what does he do instead? He says no so that he can reroute those resources to his hungry people. So graduates, what resources has God given you? What abundance has God blessed you with that you can give freely of to others to care for them? Maybe your paycheck is going to be more than you're going to be, uh, expect this week. You're going to open it up and be like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. I'm going to have extra. Maybe God is asking you to give of that. Maybe an appointment was canceled and now you have more time in your schedule. Maybe a game got canceled and you have the same thing on your hands now. You've got more time. What is God giving you plenty of that you can bless others with? Reroute those resources for the glory of God and to care for the people that God has put in your life. Whatever resources God has given you and provided you, think of ways to use them for others. 
Before we get to this last point here this morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Antonia to come up as we get ready to close our message this morning. The last thing that Nehemiah does here, and I love this, he rests assured that God sees him. Nehemiah rests assured that God sees him. The last verse in chapter 5, verse 19, remember he prays this sort of closing prayer. He says, remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. You know, Nehemiah, he's, he's not looking for applause from the people around him. He's not looking for that pat on the back. He's not looking for a trophy. He's not looking for an accolade for how selfless that he's been. But no, rather he looks up. He looks up to God and asks God to remember him for what he has done. We see here that Nehemiah, he serves and he cares for his people so well, but he doesn't do it for accolade. He doesn't do it for those pats on the back. He does that so well because he loves the God that has blessed him and provided for him. He prays a simple prayer to remind himself that God sees what he did. He knows who really sees his heart. He knows that his audience is, is not around him, looking at him. He knows that his audience is one, and it's his heavenly Father. So graduates, is your gaze fixed on the people around you as you work, as you serve, as you live your daily lives? Are you looking for those pats yourself? Are you looking for those applauses? Are you looking for those accolades? Are you looking for the approval of others around you to make sure that you're doing a good job and that you hear of it? You know, that's okay to do, but I would just say, be, I would say just be very careful of that, that you're not doing everything that you're doing, seeking out that approval constantly, letting it take over your heart. But I would encourage you to look up instead Know that you serve an audience of one, that you're doing it out of love for Jesus and for your heavenly Father. Know that your value comes from him, that your approval comes from him and him alone. You as well have an audience of one. Sustaining care for others is a commitment to love God by loving people. So graduates, this is my biggest encouragement. Follow through with your commitment to love God by loving others. Serve others because you love your God so much. Don't do it for pats on the back. Don't do it for the eyes that are maybe watching you and are observing you. Do it for your audience of one. When we look at Nehemiah, we see an incredible leader, don't we? I loved reading chapter five. I've loved reading everything that we've read so far and studying. Nehemiah is an incredible leader. He's a gifted leader who has wisdom to create and execute plans to care for his people. He's so selfless. But when we look to Christ, we see the greatest example of a leader. We see a divine leader full of perfect wisdom who has the greatest plan in history to redeem his people by being executed for us. And as you lead others and care for them, look to Christ to lead you as he leads and cares for you. 
You can't carry, you can't care for others in your own strength. You can't do it on your own will. You need to depend on and lead on God to sustain you and provide for you because he needs to care for your heart and your soul first before you can do that for others. You need to make sure your heart is okay. You need to make sure your heart and soul is cared for so that you can care for, love uh, the hearts and souls of others. You need to be filled so that you can be poured out to serve others. graduates, the rest of your life is before you. And God's plans for you are going to exceed your expectations because what he has in store for you is for your good and for the good of others around you. As a next step, I challenge you first to look through your schedule. Block out intentional times throughout the week to care for people. It's your duty God desires that we do that, that we care for each other. We need one another. Start small. Start with like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in your weekly schedule. Just make sure you're checking in on people, touching base with them, seeing how they're doing. Obviously, do your best to make sure nobody is slipping through the cracks. And secondly, if you're not already doing this, if you're not already serving in a ministry here at church, we have opportunities for you to get connected to a ministry so that you're regularly serving the body of Christ. Graduates, we are, again, incredibly proud of you. We're honored to be a part of your life, and we applaud your accomplishments. We think it's wonderful, everything that you've done thus far. We're going to be praying for you. We're gonna be here for you and it's our joy to be a part of your lives. Now go and be world changers by making disciples for the glory of our God and for the good of our community. You know, our church is here for you and it'd be a blessing and honor to be able to stay connected with you. We encourage you to stay connected in our church somehow, some way. And if we can, we would love to get together with you more, sort of see you off, and continue to walk in your journey as you follow Jesus. We love you, graduates. We're so proud of you, and we bless you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you that you're here in our midst. I thank you that you're even speaking to us right now. God, for everyone who is listening to this message that has heard it, God, I pray that you would let it bear fruit. Let us all be challenged to care for the body of Christ how you desire that we care for it. God, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see those that we haven't seen in a while. Help us to acknowledge them. Help us to reach out to them. Help us to have a burden for them. God, and strengthen our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would continue to care well for our hearts and in our lives, God, as we care for those around us. We need to be strengthened by you, God, so we can do your work and to live on mission, God. Send us out in power. Send us out strengthened in your spirit. God, we ask for more of you so that we can be used for your glory and for your honor and to build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we love you. We thank you for this word. Continue to help um, just move us to next steps. If we're feeling convicted this morning, God, it's not for my words, but it's from your spirit, Lord. 
Help us to take steps in the right direction to care for and to love your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we all said, amen.